0: good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. I'm Marcus Grode, your host for this program, coming to you from the studios of the Coming Home Network International, (coughs) joined today by uh, Ken Hensley, who uh, will be coming to us from California. And uh, later in the program, we might have just a short cameo by my son, John Mark, coming down from us from Perrysburg, just to talk about one of our topics today. We're continuing our study of the book of James. We began last week with chapter one, verses one through four. And then today we'll tackle James chapter one, five through eight. As we begin, I wanted to, uh, uh, first of all, Ken, I wanted to make sure you're out there. I hadn't heard your word from you yet.
1: I'm here. There you are. Good.
0: Glad to see you. I'm not sure if it's closer to go west to encounter you or east, but I think mainly we want to go west nowadays because we want to go through a certain part of the world because or else we'll end up in quarantine for a couple weeks, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah.
1: I traveled straight east today. I tried going west last week and it was it was just
0: longer to get around to Ohio. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's always worth the trip. So, uh, well, thanks for joining us again, Ken. Before we jump in today's scripture and... I want to take a moment just to review a little bit on some reflections after we did last week's Mm -hmm. program, because I really believe that there's a direct connect between verses 1 through 4 and 5 through 8, though on the surface, it isn't necessarily obvious. Last week, our text Was counted all joy, my brethren, when you Mm -hmm. meet various trials, for you know that the testing with your faith produces steadfastness, Mm -hmm. and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And Ken, I don't know if this is true for you, but I've found it over the years, and I've been in some kind of proclamation, gospel proclamation ministry now for about 45 years, and I've always found that whenever I proclaim preach on a text, whether it's mm-hmm. from a pulpit, from a podium, television radio, even when I put it on a in an article, I always find that it comes around to bite me, in other words, what I talked about, especially if we have the boldness <laughs> to proclaim what it says. <laughs> then it's almost like immediately afterwards we have to eat our words. And for example, you know, it said, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials. Well, it's easy to say, as we did, as we waxed so eloquently last week, but almost within two, three days, I happened to face some trials. And the last thing that I felt was joy. And I realized, no, it's not feeling. It's not about feeling. It's being joyful. And it was tough because I could come up with a a bunch of reasons why um, uh, it wasn't joyful to be Mm -hmm. in the midst of these trials. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the more I thought about that, I, I couldn't remember if we mentioned this last week, but it seemed to me. That the key, as I thought about it, in those moments when I had a hard time counting it all joy because of the Mm -hmm. trials I was facing, that the answer, which is an answer in Scripture from beginning to end, is the importance of being grateful. That's really what allows us to choose to to recognize that trial itself as a source of joy, because it's built on an a foundation of gratitude to our creator, Um, being grateful for the life we have, the grateful Mm -hmm. for the things we've been Mm -hmm. able to do, the grateful for the hope that we have for the future. Mm -hmm. All of that Mm -hmm. comes from, and it's that Mm -hmm. that enables us to say, okay, this trial is in the midst of all this great grace and gifts that we've been given. And it enables us to Mm -hmm. say, okay, there's a purpose for this. Mm -hmm. And I will accept that, that in itself, Mm It's this trial that mm-hmm. is the definition of what joy is. Did you have any thoughts after <laughs> last week's from that anything like that from last week's Oh, program? yeah.
1: Well, the first thought that I have, though, today is that if if it's true that when you preach, it comes back to bite you, stay away from that passage about Lot's wife turning into salt, okay? Oh, yeah. Just stay away from it because <laughs> I want to have you on the show next week when we go to record. All right? Um yeah. yeah. I mean, I, of course I resonate with what you're saying, Marcus, um, the, the, the trials that come and they come inevitably and they're always there. In fact, there's, there, there's a trial of some kind happening in my life all the time. And I, I think that your word about gratitude is a good word. Um, grateful to God, grateful, realizing that even the trial, even in the trial, God has a good purpose. And so the way I reflect on it is that I am so naturally, spiritually stupid, if you will, that I have to pound theology into my mind. You know, I have to pound the truth into my mind. And so when I came away from this passage in James last week, what I'm thinking is, I'm kind of theologically winding, uh, wrapping it together, and I'm thinking to myself, God made me in his image and his likeness because of the fall, because of sin, because of my birth in the line of Adam and whatnot, um, I don't look a, a whole lot like God anymore. You know, the image and the likeness of God are pretty well, have been pretty well distorted in my life and distorted by choices I've made, distorted by a lot of things, distorted by my my lack of a good response to trials, let's say even. And as Paul says in First Thessalonians, the will of God is our sanctification. God wants to, remold me back into the image in which I was created. And what James is telling us in those first verses is that God uses trials and testing in our life as a part of what, um, he, he uses this to accomplish it. And that's why James says, count it all joy. And you know, he doesn't say count it joy because we're masochists. You know, count it all joy because we're insane. Instead he says, count it all joy because you know that this testing of your faith is going to produce in your life um, perseverance, and it's going to pay off. Yeah. So that so that you you will be um, sanctified over time, and so it's beginning to understand the value of the trials that we have. And and, and just quickly, I, I thought about Paul too as an example. Paul was beaten many times. Paul was stoned. Paul Paul goes through all these things, rejected by his countrymen, beaten, stoned, and all that. And yet, listen to this one verse which parallels the lesson from last week. And yet, James says this, I mean, Paul can say this in Romans five, verse five. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope will not disappoint us because God has poured out His, his into our hearts by the Holy Spirit his love whom he has given to us. So. I, I think that verse just encapsulates it. And I, I guess the thing that I'm saying to you is simply this, that I have to pound these thoughts into my mind because, no, it's not natural to rejoice when suffering comes, to count it joy. Yeah. But I understand why I ought to, and so I'm on the road, you know?
0: Yeah, it was funny. When you were mentioning Paul, I thought uh, I had already turned to a Paul passage, and I thought maybe you were going to refer to that because there's another place where in Second Timothy he's, he's writing to his Young bishop, trainee, mm-hmm. if you will, mm-hmm. and he says in Second Timothy four or ten, chapter three, verse ten. Now you have observed. Now what I think is key there is that can when we when you and I open our mouths to talk about something as audacious as mm-hmm. a, a, a considerate joy when you meet all trial, and we mm-hmm. make it public, then there are people sitting out there. Saying, okay, let's see let's see. Did your life show it? We as parents, if we tell this to our kids, okay, Mm -hmm. let me see. And Paul says to Timothy, now you have observed Mm. my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, Mm. my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, Mm -hmm. my sufferings. Mm. And then he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So- well, so that's part of it. That's mm-hmm. part of the growth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back to our text, that is what Jane. That's why he begins this letter. These 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 Jewish Christians are dispersed, and they're they they do not have the privilege of living in a Benedict Option community. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're distributed so- all over the place um, mm-hmm. in, in <coughs> Gentile environments. And they're trying to learn how to live this new Christian life based on their previous Jewish Uh training and experience and all that they've read and been taught, and now they're learning it through the lens of Jesus Uh in this new context. And they're encountering persecution, suffering, trial. Uh And many of them, like many health and wealth gospel people today, believe, whoa, I'm experiencing sickness. I'm... in." trial. There must be something wrong with my faith. James is saying, no. No, 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 no. This is how you grow in steadfastness. Consider it joy. And that's still bizarre.
1: Can you conceive that in the light of a passage this clear, there are entire denominations that teach that if you're suffering, that there's something wrong with you? It it, it seems amazing. These passages are so clear.
0: Well... (laughs) That's why one particular reformer thought this this book was a, a book of straw. He didn't want to deal with it. Um, uh, so, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. now let me let me give another angle that we've got to get into our study, but there's another angle of that very thing, and that is on the positive side, you know, Ken, you've tried to get your kids to try new things. I've to tried to get my mm-hmm. kids to try new things. I tried new things. I'll give this a try. See if you like it. And then Mm -hmm. they try it and they say, "Eh, no, I don't like that. And then, no, I don't. And you may think in your head, you know, this is a good thing for me to do. This is a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's something I ought to do. And then we do it and it's, eh, I don't like doing that. It doesn't doesn't float my boat. And what James is kind of saying is, you know, it's not about feelings and passions when you determine whether something you're going to do or a trial to do is good for you. It's mm-hmm. a matter of intellect and will when you choose joy when you face something. Mm-hmm. New. Otherwise, it's our it's feelings and passions that drive our lives. Yeah, and something negative when you face,
1: in particular, a trial, a test. And if an illustration that came to my mind, when our kids are little, we drag them down to the dentist to get their teeth drilled. We know that it's good. We know that they need it. We know that it's good for them. All they can conceive of when they're little is the pain. Why are you doing this? Why are you hauling me down? And this is kind of a uh, this is kind of humbling in a way because when I think about it, as as adults, we go to the dentist. And we even pay the dentist, you know, to drill our teeth and pull our teeth out and do whatever they're going to do. We pay them for the pain because we understand. And so it's kind, of, it's, kind, it's kind of humbling to realize that we don't have that wisdom when it comes to the trials
0: that God allows in our lives. Which is, given what you've been talking about and, and, and I've been sharing, the reason I want us to bring all this up is because all these, I believe, are the kinds of thoughts They were both in the mind of James and maybe things Mm -hmm. he heard from people Mm -hmm. that were in between verse 4 and Mm 5, which is the the connect between verses 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 8. In other Mm -hmm. words, considering it joy when we face trial involves not passion and feelings, it's intellect and will it's a choice and when the people are saying i don't understand this i don't get it how do i do it how how do i make this happen it Mm -hmm. ain't working for me that's why the first thing that he says is we need to talk about wisdom
2: Mm -hmm.
0: this is wisdom and this is the gift of the ability to understand Mm -hmm. and now that's why we move into verse 5 through 8. Uh-huh. Now, let me read those, uh-huh. and then I'm going to explain a little bit about how we're going to look at them today. Because Ken and I are going to—and uh-huh. we're going to be joined by John in a little bit. We're going to have fun with this. The, the verse for today is, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproaching, uh-huh. and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, will receive anything from God. And again, if you take this whole section as a sub-note to verses 2 through 4, 2 through 4 is about, in trial recognizing that this is of the Lord Mm -hmm. and it's so that we might grow and steadfast to become the perfect. And that's the reason. Mm -hmm. And God gives us the wisdom to be able to recognize that and do Mm -hmm. that out. But if Mm -hmm. we, but if we, if we don't have faith that this will happen, we're not going to receive it. And that's what he ends with. Now there's a lot there. I mean, in essence, verse five through eight is almost one long sentence. Um, And there's a fun way to study Scripture. And one of the reasons we're doing this program is not so Ken and I can uh, proclaim to the world what great scholars we are. It's it's really about trying to encourage any of you listeners who feel discouraged about Scripture study is to encourage you to do it. Uh, There's hardly anything more valuable that I think a person can do than study the Word of God. It's just... It's changed my life, all my life. Mm -hmm. And I, except in rare occasions, I never miss a morning of prayerfully reading Scripture. Catholics call it Lexio Divina. I've been doing this for 40-some years, and I love it. It's just a part of my life. And one of the ways that I've found when when you encounter a big passage... It may be divided in three sentences, but really it's almost like one long thought. Well, how do I break it down? Well, there's a way to do this, which I've coined the phrase reduce to the min, then adduce to the max. And it's based on the idea that you proscript- approach scripture with the assumption that every word that's in that sentence was inspired by the Holy Spirit, not just the thought. But the, the, the Spirit inspired the writer. Of course, the writer's own personality and grammar all shows up there. But yet behind it is the mystery of the overarching guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we assume that each word, the author had a reason for that word. And so what you do is, first you look at a passage and you say, okay, what is the most simple basic thought? Of the passage mm-hmm. and reduce it down to the absolute minimum with no, no, fluff words in there. Just the basic thing. In fact, Ken, I've I've reduced it down, but the more I thought about, it, I could even reduce it more and more and more and more. But let's 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 reduce. I was thinking. It. Huh? I was thinking uh,
1: we should take a shot here at the beginning. And just how we would reduce it, you know, I, I'm just thinking. Here's how I would reduce everything we've looked at so far after the introductory issues of James and the and the, who who he's writing to. I would reduce it down to. I want you to I, I want you to count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, When you encounter trials, because this is how we grow. Now you're going to need wisdom though, because it's hard to navigate these trials. So ask God for wisdom. I, 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 even that's got too many words, but that's the basic idea. We're, we're cutting joy down. and trials, I need wisdom then to do this.
0: And Ken, if you were preaching a sermon on this passage, the whole thing, let's say you're preaching in three through yeah. eight, it's good to leave the audience with a memorable thought, which is what you just did, condensing it down to that simple essence. Count it yeah, joy. Except- Count of joy when you meet trials, because that's how you'll grow in Christ. That's how you become perfect. And if you don't understand, ask God for the wisdom, and he'll give it to you. I mean, that's the simple. So why didn't James— But I forgot the faith part, though. (laughs) Ask God, but believe. But that's why—why did he add those things? You see, that's why he added those things. He's a preacher, and he's thinking about, okay, what do I need to— So— Let's reduce it down to the minimum. And here's here to me, for this passage, four, 5 through 8, here mm-hmm. is to me the beginning, at least this is verse 5 down to the minimum. Mm-hmm. If you lack wisdom, ask God. That's the basic minimum. Now, the, I do believe this is important, and maybe we'll spend more of our time on the, in this whole hour on that one little section than any of the rest. Because he introduces this idea of wisdom, and mm-hmm. I do believe today it's easy—just oh, you know, what, you know, wisdom is move on. But I think there's a bigger—you know—that word wisdom opens up a vista. We could spend a long time sure. talking about wisdom mm-hmm. for a number of reasons, and and Ken, it, it, one of this is what we assume about the background of these very people. These are, are, are first century Jews who've lived in the influence of a Greek environment and so they, not, they don't have just the Bible. They're surrounded with Greek philosophy, with the, mm-hmm. the budding Gnostic ideas um, and part of the Gnostic ideas that are rising, they don't become really powerful until later, but is the idea that, hey, I, I am the only one that understands <coughs> what's true. And mm-hmm. if you want to understand what's true, you got to come and listen to me. I mean, there's that rise, that, that, that that's this unique understanding mm-hmm. of God is only for the few. And, and they're bombarded with these ideas. Plus, <coughs> a me. big part of their formation— as first century Jew were the parts of the Old Testament that we would call wisdom literature. You've got the historical mm-hmm. books that tell all about mm-hmm. Moses and the Noah and all that, Jonah mm-hmm. and all that. Then you've got the you've you've got the the Psalms, and you've got the prophets, but then there are these books, Proverbs, the Book of Wisdom, the Book of Sirach, Ecclesiasticus. Our our separate brethren don't recognize those as part of the canon, but they were a part of the septuagint so the first century mm-hmm. christians would have had all those books and all those books the underlying theme of those books is wisdom. wisdom is wisdom and many scholars say the point of those books was helping jews understand how to relate their faith in their greek culture because both cultures were about philosophy mm-hmm. about wisdom mm-hmm. And we could spend a bazillion hours looking at all the verses. And I've come up with a few, and I've summarized a few, and I just want to give a couple things, Ken, and you jump in. But the, the reason I want to bring a couple of these up, is I think they're important, is First Chronicles 1, if you go back and read that, you're going to find out and be reminded about Solomon. <coughs> and whenever we, mm-hmm. we hear the word Solomon, the thing that comes to our mind is wisdom. And what he was known for was he had the opportunity to ask God for anything. Right. And he asked God for wisdom. And God gave it to him. Now, the irony is if you read in his story in 1 Chronicles, you're going to hear a a hagiography of Solomon. It's all good. Everything's fine. But if you read about the same story in 2 Kings, you realize that even when he had the wisdom, he messed up. And the reason I mention that is the gift of wisdom isn't a guarantee. It has to be practiced. Oh, it has. It has to be employed. Yeah, yeah. It has to be employed. There's a number of verses which I particularly think you and Kenan, you Ken and I, need to emphasize, underline, <laughs> bold, and that is those verses in the Old Testament that emphasize that true wisdom comes with age. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, Job twelve. That's, that's you
1: know, one I emphasize with my grandchildren all the time. Yeah, you know? <laughs>
0: wisdom is with the aged and understanding and length of days. Uh, you know, Sirach twenty five talks all about it. But I mean, we could wax eloquently about how wisdom comes more mm-hmm. from experience than it comes than it comes from education, and it mm-hmm. comes really from experience. Uh, but. And Sirach twenty-five ten, how great is he who has gained wisdom? And this is in the context of age, but there is no one superior to him who fears the Lord. And again, we could point out there's about fifteen times in all this literature that said that the beginning and the continuation
1: mm-hmm.
2: and
0: the end of wisdom is what Ken the fear
1: of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Lord. And then there are a lot of verses in there too that state specifically that God is the one who gives it to us. And let me read too, just quickly. Wisdom 7, verse 7 says, I prayed and understanding was given to me. I called upon God and the spirit of wisdom came to me. And then in 821, the author says, I perceived that I would not possess wisdom unless God gave it to me. So I appealed to the Lord and besought him with all my heart. The fear of the Lord is the very is the is where wisdom starts, is when you when you when you reverence God and you have the Lord at the center of all your thinking, that's where wisdom begins. And, and it has to be given um by God. So there are plenty of passages. Yeah. So
0: so the, the, the people to whom James is writing has all this background and, and they know this.
1: Yeah, I was thinking they have the Hebrew wisdom literature. That you referred to, you know, they've got the Book of Proverbs, they've got Ecclesiastes, they've got the Song of Solomon, and then they've, then they've got the, the the Greek wisdom literature that was written uh, later and was uh, you know circling in the worlds in which they lived. Sirach, wisdom. This was a, a a large part of their background, without even asking the question, what about the Greeks and what about the Greek philosophers? So yeah, this is their background, and as we mentioned last week, James letter reads like a very early writing it's very jewish yep. it's very it very much harkens back to the old testament and this is an example of it here with his discussion of wisdom right at the beginning
0: and as we mentioned last week i really believe if there were there were two sets of books on his desk and in the lives of his people that james was building on on the one hand it would've been the wisdom literature from the old testament and it mm-hmm. would have been the sermon on the mount yeah i mean really that's that's the background to what he's doing. And I just want to point out one other, a couple other verses, but one of them is that his people may have remembered that also in the wisdom literature, in Proverbs and Sirach, both of them talk about lacking wisdom. Mm. Um, a man may be shrewd and the teacher of, it says this in Sirach, and teacher of many and yet be unprofitable to himself. I mean, Ken, that hits me. We might be great wow. telling everybody about it, but are we living it? Does it, does it, do we really, it makes sense to us, but does it change our own lives? Verse 20, mm-hmm. a man skilled in words may be hated. He will be destitute of all food for grace was not given him by the Lord since he is lacking in all wisdom.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I was envisioning some of these young, Christ, young Jewish Christians wondering, you know, I, I don't get it. The cross i don't I don't quite get it what's mm-hmm. wrong with me you say that's Jesus in the body in the you say that's his body and blood and i don't I don't get it. I don't understand what's wrong with me mm-hmm. what's wrong mm-hmm. with me you know and there could be a lot of those issues and so to me that's why he he begins with this question of lacking of wisdom and there's a lot there when I thought about this, this is when I wanted What we're going to do on the Deep in Scripture program from time to time is uh, I want to invite some of my other staff members to join with us if they've got some thoughts to share, or maybe if I drop a bomb on them and say, hey, I want you to join us today. I may have done that second thing to my son, John Mark. Uh, John Mark is uh, the chief operating officer of the Coming Home Network. And the reason I thought I'd ask if he wanted to just add a word or two into here, because John Mark majored in philosophy and and I, I'm not by that saying that, uh, you, you know, trying to say, I'm going to invite the the resident scholar kind of a thing. I'm more, what I'm concerned about from John Mark's background is, is this lacking of wisdom a, a problem today? Is it what's behind what's going on? And how did he, in his own journey of faith, come to understand wisdom? So John Mark, I'm wondering if you're there, are you still, hey, there you are. How you doing, John Mark? I hey, am. Hey, am, afternoon. What's your thought? You've been listening a little bit to what Ken and I have been railing about here, uh, Yeah, two amateur philosophers, and, and I thought maybe you're a couple of cents. Oh, the other reason, in, in recently, uh, you're leading a, a men's study group in, up in your hometown, and you've been using a wonderful book uh, by the philosopher Pieper mm-hmm. on the virtues. And uh, the last time I was with you, you were leading the men through a discussion of prudence which really seems to fit in what we're talking about.
3: Yeah, well, again, as you guys have have discussed so far, even in this small passage talking about wisdom, you know, the 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 idea of wisdom is an interesting one. It, it, it's throughout Scripture in many different contexts, and it's it's a bit of an elusive thing, and that's why some of these passages present a lot of mystery to us. Uh, what is wisdom as compared to just knowledge? science? You know, why is wisdom something that seems to elude the grasp of the grasper, the person who maybe is grasping after wisdom for power's sake, versus the person who, as you guys pointed out, fears the Lord?
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Why is it only that the person who fears the Lord receives wisdom? And I think, uh, again, one of the keys here is that there's a relationship here between uh, and their ability to know that's a real key here, that there, there, is, uh, there are modes of knowing and there is a, a length and breadth of knowledge that become utterly inaccessible to us to the degree that we do not fear the Lord. You know, I mean, um, in more common terms, you know, we might speak of intellectual humility. The person who doesn't have a certain intellectual humility, that is the belief in their own ignorance, the belief that they have more to learn, well, they can't learn anymore. You know, similarly, the person who lacks the courage to face up to truths that they are uncomfortable with, that they don't care about or don't want to be true, that person can't learn. So there's this intimate connection between our character uh, and our ability to know. Um, the, the the main, the first of the cardinal virtues is prudence, and that's the, you know, again the, the this great book by by Joseph Pieper, he has this first long section on the virtue of prudence and how. Um, the concept of prudence is so misunderstood, and there's a lot that can be said about prudence, but uh, in connection to wisdom, um, the virtue of prudence is this virtue, this habit of going through life awake and intentional and making decisions, making intentional decisions. And, and one of its key features is that is that if you're, if you're practicing prudence, part of what you're practicing is this radical openness to things as they are, the ipsa res, how things really are as opposed to maybe how you want them to be. I mean, you guys mentioned earlier at the beginning of your study, um, this idea of a person who is either driven through life by their passions, pulled along by their passions, or a person who applies their reason. Well, oftentimes, again, if our passions are in control of us, well, then we can only see what we want to see, what we desire oh. to be true. Or, if, or um, on the flip side, if we're afraid of something, well, that thing becomes our whole world. That's opposite to what we experience when we approach the Lord in humility, in authentic filial fear. When we do so, we're able to look at reality with courage and say, Lord, I want to know. Give me your wisdom. I want to see things as they are. I want to see things, I want to see you as you are. I want to see truths about myself, perhaps even uncomfortable truths. I want to see truths about this world that you've created and the purposes for which you have created me. But again, there's this intimate connection between our character, the humility, the courage, the honesty um, that we approach um, that information with that, that determines our ability to know it. And so, again, let, uh, again, going back to the text here, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So we, we need to approach God. With with a reverence and a humility, but also just jumping ahead, and you guys haven't I don't know gotten here yet, but you know later on it talks about let's see let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, will receive anything from the Lord. Well, what does it mean to be double-minded? That means I, I may say I want wisdom, I want to know Lord, I want to know what Your will is for my life, but in my heart. I don't. I, I want something very particular for my life. I have a particular plan mm-hmm. that I want you to fulfill. And so, again, when I decide, when I make the, the choice to begin to approach the Lord with a pure heart, Lord, what do you want? <laughs> what is your will? What is the truth of things? That's when we are open to this gift of wisdom. Thank you, John Mark, yeah. for joining us today. Yeah. Appreciate it. What's that book yeah, again what? Do you recommend to people? It's the Cardinal Virtues by Joseph Pieper. It's an excellent book. It's you know it's a little heady, but it's the best book I've found out there about the about the virtues, which really is a lost bit of wisdom um, that. But it's a treasure I've, of our faith that we need to rediscover.
1: I've been told that anything written by Pieper is a keeper. Is that is is that accurate? <laughs> that is. Um, a Wise you know what? when you were talking about the double-minded, I thought of the title of um one of Kierkegaard's books, "Purity of Heart is to Will one
0: thing."
2: Yes yeah, um, yeah. yeah. and we'll
0: in a moment we'll get, when we go through our, our our we'll get to that because the truth is, I don't think we are double-minded. I think we are, but it's the battle between often our intellect and our passions. Mm-hmm. so it's really not two minds, it's we probably know what's true but it's mm-hmm. all the other things that make us move away from what we know we ought to do. And mm-hmm. so we appear like we double minded, mm-hmm. but
3: it, yeah, well, that's why I like that. Again, the, the Kierkegaard quote, particularly because again, to wi- purity of no. heart, to will one thing. It's when my will is divided. You know, I say, yeah, I want to please the Lord, but I also want to keep my, car yeah, successful and I want to be upwardly mobile. Well, when our heart wants all those things, I can't approach God sincerely wanting his wisdom or wanting to do his will, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm divided, I have a divided heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it got me, earlier used the
0: phrase uh, awoke, waken, and of course that's Mm -hmm. a real common word today that's used to describe a whole part of our population, the woke people, and- Very ironic. It's ironic because their wisdom isn't built on fear of God. At least as far as I can tell. Yeah. And if you don't have fear of God, then no. your wakeness, what's it build on? Mm-hmm. You know, it's crazy. Vanity, you vanity. Know, vanity our, is our all hope, is... What's
3: that, Demar? <laughs> vanity. It's all vanity. And well, I mean,
0: in. you listen to the, the you know, the, the candidate debates and the politics and the craziness, and and even then you look at the scandal in the church and stuff, you wonder where's the wisdom? And then you think, well, where's the fear of God? <laughs> yeah, Where's the fear of God?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's so ironic that the whole, the woke thing, because it it's not necessarily always the case that people in that mode or, or who create that caricature and culture haven't found some bit of truth. But it's interesting, again, it's interesting to think of, you know, what is my relationship to a bit of truth, one bit of truth or the other? If my passion for that truth is merely a matter of passion, well, I'm going astray again. You know, I get excited because I discovered one piece of truth. Well, then that becomes my whole life mm-hmm. rather than that being <clears throat> a path to greater humility. I want to see the whole. No, I just get excited about this one piece of truth. You know, every heresy, every, every um, you know, false or problematic ideology, most of the time it comes back to taking a piece of the truth and beginning to ignore the rest of it, trying to make mm-hmm. that piece the whole you know, and so again, to be really awake, to truly pursue wisdom, we want to see the whole. You know, and so again, that takes this humility to really be open to the whole that God wants to give us.
0: I heard one of those young woke politicians recently use this reasoning: global warming is so absolutely devastating to our planet that within our lifetime. Our world is going to change within 5, 10 years, and it's going to be absolutely devastating for our children. And if we're responsible adults, we shouldn't subject children to this. So the only wise move is to stop having children. All right, folks.
3: (laughs) Where does one begin?
0: Where does one begin? Every, Every step in that formula is flawed. And the one thing that isn't there is a trust that God is in control of this world. He's the creator. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And so, you know, there's the danger of private interpretation. There's the danger of Bible alone. There's the danger of all kinds of things, you know? So that's why maybe the, the key that we got to always remember, as St. Augustine said, is there's three things that are absolutely crucial. Humility, 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 and humility. Um,
1: and I thought it was I thought it was location, location, location. That's well, what I that's again, what I hear. It, that's what it is no. when you don't
0: fear the Lord. But it's humility. <laughs> <and> humility.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. We've done. We've reduced to the minimum.
0: All right, John <laughs> we've Mark. Stated it. Thank this you. Time
1: we adduce, right? Hey, and thanks, John Mark. Yeah, we'll
0: let John Mark get back to thanks. running things while you and I can have fun on the radio, Ken. <laughs> thanks, John I Mark.
1: Feel a tiny bit wiser now. Thank you.
0: We'll have him join us yeah. again. All right, Ken. So we've, we've reduced it to the men, and um, the only other thing I wanted to add in there, Ken, before you jump into the next little thing, because what we're going to do is we'll go through each thing fairly quickly, but I just wanted to yeah. remind us that behind all of this is the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, it really is there. And we're going to get to this, unless you want to jump to it, Ken, right away. But All right. You're going to Matthew 7? Matthew 7. And and, and it says in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, and Ken, you can use this as a launching pad. If you lack wisdom, ask God. That's the verse in James. That, 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 what does Jesus say? Mm-hmm. He says, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. will be opened. And then he gives Mm -hmm. an example of that. I mean, there's the, if you will, the text behind Mm -hmm. James's message.
1: Okay, now we've reduced it to the minimum. And as Marcus said a little while ago, if you lack wisdom, ask God. That's the minimum. If you ask wisdom, I mean, if you lack wisdom, ask God. What we're going to do now is we're going to simply, we're going to keep reading that sentence, but adding in the extra words one at a time to where you can kind of see, uh, hopefully, well, a way of doing Bible study, you can see how all of the added words add texture to this and fill it out. So basically, we're taking the bones, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and we're gonna put flesh on it, okay? okay? And so I'm first. What James actually says is, if any of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And again, that was reflected in the passage that you just read, Marcus, from Matthew 7, where Jesus says, ask and it will be given, knock and the door will be opened, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks will find. And what, what I think of by adding those words, if any of you lacks wisdom, is just the emphasis on God's love for everyone. I think immediately of for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I think of, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. This James is saying here, so this is for everyone listening. This is for all of us. All of yeah. us. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Okay, go ahead. Pile on. I, and just one with that right. is, yeah.
0: not everybody listening, you or me, Ken, not all of us, have had affirming experiences growing up. And... I know people that just their whole image of themselves is, I'm a loser. I'm dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, it isn't for me. It's for somebody else. And, you know, these young these Christians, Christians, you know, some of them are getting it. Some of them are really, really leaders. Some of them are up in front. As Paul would say, some of them are arms and legs and some of them are toes mm-hmm. in the body of Christ. Here's James saying, excuse me, it's for every one of you. That's what you were saying again. It's for everybody. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is for everybody. And then he adds some more. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives? Now, why did James have to add that? Let him ask God, who gives? Now, I did a little search, and I found That 355 verses in the Bible have both the word God and gives. What does that say? That is one of the most assumed qualities of our God. He's a (laughs) giver. The definition of love is giving. He's not a God that wants. And there are religions that that's their view of God. We're slaves to this king. Yeah, that's not Christianity. We have a God who gives. In fact, I'm almost positive. I can. I. I, I know it. As long as the world that I know, can you can quote a verse that has in it God gives? John <laughs> well, three sixteen. Did. Yeah. We
1: all know God's so, Yeah, we all you said I was thinking of another one, but yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave, you know, and, and one that you marked down here in the notes, but truly God has listened. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer, Psalm 66, verse 19. You know, and when you said God is not a God who wants something from us, another passage, God is not a God who needs anything from us. This is what's important. I think of that passage. I think it's in Isaiah where he says where he says um, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool where is the house that you would build for me? Yep. I don't I don't need anything. I think of Jesus saying I did not come to be served but to serve. God doesn't want anything but our love. God doesn't need anything from us. God created us for to give to us, to share with us. So we, God and giving are, are, are tied together. Which is scripture. important
0: for when we read those verses, especially in the Old Testament, where it sounds like he's demanding. Mm-hmm. It's because he's shaping us. Yeah. Count it all yeah. joy when you face trials. He's shaping us. Mm-hmm. Why do you sacrifice? Doesn't God <gasps> yeah, doesn't does need sheep it, and goats and cows. That's what it says. It's yeah, he says that. He says that.
1: Doesn't he say the cattle on a thousand hills belong to me? Do I need you know more sheep? Do I need more more goats? It's all for us. Everything that God has done. Okay, on. the next one. If any if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously. Who gives generously? That's what James wants to add. And you know when I look at that word, um, the word generously here. Um, it can be translated sincerely or without hesitation, without mental reservation. Generously, it uh, gives us this impression of, of the overflowing love of God for us. And uh, again, a reminder, God loves us. So if we ask God for wisdom, he not only wants to give, but he wants to give generously. And you were talking about how the background to this book so much is the, is the um, Sermon on the Mount. And, and other things that Jesus himself taught. I think of where Jesus said, if a son asks his father for a fish, is he going to give him a snake? Or if he asks for a loaf of bread, is he going to give him a stone? How much more, how much, there's the word generously coming in. How much more will God give to us if we ask him?
0: All right. And James goes on. Uh, he he goes on to say, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives not just generously, but to all men generously, to everyone. And as I thought about why those, um, of course, it affirms what he said earlier, Mm -hmm. if any of you, he's kind of saying that again. But it reminded me of another thing that Paul says in Romans 1, when he reminds us in Romans 1, verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them, Mm. to, to everybody, Because God has shown it to them for ever since creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, Mm -hmm, has been clearly mm -hmm. perceived in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This isn't just Christians to whom God is generous. Mm -hmm. God, the prayers of a righteous man, anyone that turns to God. I just read something by Augustine. Recently, one of his earliest writings before he was a bishop, which I had it in front of me, but he says, basically, Mm -hmm. when we talk about the the true religion, we call it Christianity. But he said, you know, we've only called it Christianity since Jesus. But the true religion exists before Jesus. Mm -hmm. The religion to God. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there wasn't sufficient revelation, but people would turn from their conscience to God. And God responds. We see that all around us.
1: I think of Jesus talking about the two men in the temple, and the you know the one the Pharisee, and then the other one, who didn't know anything about Jesus, didn't know anything about the Messiah having come, and there at at that very moment, and yet he just beats on his chest. He can't he can't lift his eyes to heaven. He says, "Be merciful to me." Yeah, yeah. The true religion, I mean, the true religion of turning to God has been there from the beginning.
0: He put it. It's a part of our being. In fact, the simplicity, of, if you took all of the Christian faith, all of salvation history, mm. from Adam to now, everything, the simple thread of everything is the two ways, the two ways. Either you follow God or you don't. That's the two ways. Mm. And, and we're called, we'll be responsible to God for which way we choose. Mm -hmm. And when when Philip said, well, I don't know the way, what did Jesus say? I'm the way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jesus is the way. All right, Ken, move on to the next.
1: Okay, so we add on. I'm re-reading it again. If any of you lacks wisdom, any of you, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproaching. You know, James even adds that side to it, you know, to say, don't worry that somehow God is going to reproach you for coming to Him and asking for wisdom. No, God will give to you generously and without reproaching. And I'll leave it at that. I have another thing to say about that, but 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 based on um, another word, a
0: couple of f- phrases down. Go ahead. Okay, I'm just going to throw in there that um, one of the uh, the books that I was looking at in the Greek uh, a Greek um, Dictionary, Mm -hmm. says that this word, without this phrase, that it was a part of their culture. It was a special kind of reproach that is the manifestation of displeasure or regret, which too often accompanies the giving of a gift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in some, you know, I'm going to give you something, but I've got to put on this aura of, it's a sacrifice to me. You know, Mm -hmm. so I'm kind of reproaching you for, I'm giving you this gift. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this idea, so it's as if James is saying, God isn't like that. Mm -hmm. You're accustomed to this stupid custom. Mm -hmm. God isn't like that. He's he's giving freely. He's giving freely. Mm -hmm. We think about David. And how God loved David because David's heart was right. That's what God says. David's heart was right. You mm-hmm. look at his life, it was a mess, but his heart was right. And so God gave freely to David, blessed mm-hmm. him. Blessed mm-hmm. him. His heart was right. And so the reproach was said. And David deserved it. All right. Okay, so you, you hold on to that thought because you said you had something, but let me mm-hmm. go on to my next one. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproaching, and it will be given him. Yeah. And to me, that's basically the fulfillment of what Jesus promised in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask. And it will. And it will.
1: He kept saying "Seek, and you will. Know knock that. and the door Will.
0: Yeah, I threw one more verse in our study guide Ken that brings it out and that's John 15, which is if you will I've always think of a John 14 15, 16 17 as Jesus has final instructions on the night when he gives him the last supper. Uh, this is kind of like taking the sermon on a mountain okay okay guys here's what it means to live it out for you guys. I was the sermon I was talking to a whole bunch of folk but to you guys, let's take everything I said in the sermon and let's apply it and one of the things he says, In John 15, 7 is, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will Mm -hmm. and it shall be done for you. Abiding in him. It's in him. Abiding in him. And my words abide in you. In other words, our heart, Mm -hmm. that's wisdom. All of that changes us. And and the reason people misuse this idea, and I see it in the Health and Wealth Gospel, is this doesn't mean you just ask for anything. Our asking is based on Mm. the wisdom we receive. So we're asking things that are good for us, good for our family, good for what's right.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Our asking becomes guided Mm -hmm. by our abiding with Christ. All right, Ken.
1: And I think that this ties us... um... Or leads very very naturally into the next phrase, but let him ask in faith. The very next phrase. Okay, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproaching. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously without approaching and it will without reproaching and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith. And this is where I wanted to go back to the word reproaching because there is that passage in Mark 16 where Jesus, said, where it says, afterward he appeared to the 11 themselves as they sat at table and he upbraided them or reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen, which ties back into your John 15 passage, I think Marcus, that you just read. And that basically what Jesus is saying there is if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Another way to say that would be, if you trust me, if you have faith, but let him ask in faith, if, if you're trusting me, my will for your life, trusting that I have, I've allowed these trials to come into your life for a good purpose, trusting that if you ask, I will give you wisdom. If you come in faith, then God will generously give us what we need. And that is wisdom.
0: He goes on. But the,
1: but this is where James turns the corner, kind of, because he's been talking about wisdom and talking about God's tremendous generosity to give us wisdom, and then you get the the, the turning of the corner, but
0: yeah. and, and let him ask in faith. That's, that's right, and it's really key because he's a pastor, and he recognizes he's with the people. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the bishops of those days are not like the bishops we see today. The bishops of those days were the local pastor— the person in charge of the local group mm-hmm. of Christians, and he's living mm-hmm. with them. He's not living mm-hmm. in some fancy castle. He's living with them. Mm-hmm. They didn't even dress different. Everything They were just one of them, mm-hmm. and he knows the struggles. And so you have let him ask in faith, and then he has <clears throat> without doubting. Ask in faith without doubting. Ask in faith without doubting. That helps you understand the depth of faith, and boy, we don't have time to talk about. In my mind, why faith in Christ is so essential. It has. It 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 goes all the way back to the mm-hmm. Passover in the Old Testament mm-hmm. when you have the lamb that's sacrificed, and you have to eat this lamb because He's taking away your sins. When mm-hmm. you offer a sacrifice, how does that sacrifice? affect you. You you lay your hands on it. You accept it. You believe. Mm -hmm. There's a connection there. And when we put faith in Christ, it's recognizing what he did for us Mm -hmm. on the Mm -hmm. cross. He's our Paschal Lamb. Mm -hmm. If you believe in me, that's how we become Mm -hmm. saved. He's our Paschal Lamb. And so it's, and do you believe in Jesus or are you backing off? Do you believe in Jesus? You know, the rich young ruler, he was given wisdom. He came forward. Whatever you want me to do, Jesus, Mm -hmm. go, sell, give it away, follow me. Mm -hmm. Do you believe? Do you trust? With no doubting. Jesus even said in Matthew, Matthew 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. If you have faith. Now, this I, I'm nervous to say this because I, in my own work of pastorate, I've known people that took these verses and and abused them and didn't. I remember once when a woman was dying of cancer in our my church, and that women would gather week after day after day and pray with her, and you know, and and, and challenge her to have faith that if she believed God would heal her, she would be healed. Healed. Day after day, they prayed with her. And she died. And the women just kept, okay, they're done. Well, she didn't have enough faith. And the husband was so just destroyed by that, that he left the church. And I don't even know if this day is Because they misunderstood. It's not a it's not a bargain. It's not like God owes us.
1: No, you know, I have a situation with one of the gentlemen that I'm working with um, through the Coming Home Network down in, in uh, Columbia, um, whose wife was dying of cancer. She passed away about two, three months ago now. Um, they were only 31, 32 years old. Uh, literally a month after they were married, she was diagnosed with cancer. And she came from a family that held this point of view. And therefore her family was so strongly in the health and wealth kind of you know f- version of Protestantism that they, re- th- they didn't want her to even say that she had cancer. They said that they insisted that for her to even speak the words was to, in a sense, uh, not trust God. And and um, so it put tremendous pressure on her because here she is dying. Here she is in pain with cancer. And then on top of it, she's got this pressure from her family to not even acknowledge it. Because to acknowledge it is to go the devil's way or whatnot.
0: It's, it's, you know, this takes us right back. Peace. This takes us right all the way back to verse four. Count it all joy. Yeah. When you face trial, this whole thing yeah. takes us all the way back. Let him ask in faith without doubting. It's trusting. God's in charge. Yeah, He has my best. All things work together for good for those who love God and call <laughs> according to His purpose. Paul says in Romans eight twenty eight. Trust in this. The doubting. Do we have the time? Go ahead. Do we have the time to make it to the end? I'm. I'm just wondering. We're, we're going to do it. We're. we okay. Yeah. We're. Let's. Let's get her done here.
1: Okay, we gotta get it done. Okay, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Now, the word doubts here, again, uh, from what I've read, carries sort of an implication of disputing as well. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, or the, the one who begins to dispute with God, which is really exactly what we're just talking about. Um, You know, I ask for wisdom. Um, I know that I'm going through a trial. Um, but I doubt at the same time, uh, you know, is this trial good for me? Is this really God's will? Or maybe it's not God's will. Uh, is it because I don't have enough faith? So there's this doubting that that becomes a kind of disputing with God about it, the reason for the trial. You
0: now, know, and one of the reasons they, I, when I was cutting this back, mm-hmm. I stopped us at that is because, I mean, you live by the ocean and you can have a nice day where yeah, these, yeah. The, these little, nice little calm waves go up and down and, well, maybe that's what my doubting is like. You know, I just go up and down a little bit, you know, up and down. That's and, and yeah. that's why he added another phrase. Right. Because he said, but let him ask in faith without, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Yeah. That's what doubting is. Yeah. So he's clearing up the confusion. If
1: there was a, if they had, if the idea had, had entered their mind for even a second, that this is kind of a good wave and it's kind of nice, you know, no. The one who doubts, the one who is disputing with God in a sense, is like a wave that is driven and tossed by the wind. It's chaos. It's not good. And he goes on to say, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, that's a powerful statement about the importance of faith. I mean, the 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 requirement of faith the requirement to trust god um when i think of the when i think of the great saints all the way through the bible i mean noah trusted god's word enough to start building a gi- gigantic boat in the middle of the wilderness and i'm sure when you were growing up you probably heard the uh, the the bill cosby version of that right, right. you know god, you know okay i mean a gigantic boat but He trusted God's warning about the flood coming enough to build that boat. Abraham trusted God's word enough to take his son up on a mountain and prepare to slaughter his own son. Trusting, the book of Hebrews tells us, trusting that if God actually allowed him to go through with it, God would raise Isaac from the dead. And so here again, we're being taught, look, God is generous. God will give to anyone the wisdom that he needs she needs, but we need to come to God trusting. And and I take that in kind of a overall, that is I'm trusting that the situation God's allowed into my life is for my good. And I'm trusting that God will give me wisdom. And uh, so it's pretty strong though, to say that if you are like a, if you are doubting, if you are disputing, if you're like a wave driven and
0: tossed by the sea, you're not going to receive what you asked for. There's uh... I've actually got two more steps here in the way we divided up things, but let me pull them together into one can and then we can draw it. Because mm-hmm. I do, again, the context is we're facing trial. Trust that God's in control. This is how, this is how he's going to help you grow. Yeah. You, need, you need to believe that. You need to believe that this is where your joy, this is where your happiness is. And he goes on and, and just, he just said, for that person must not suppose, and then he says that a double-minded man will receive anything from the Lord. Uh-huh. And when we were talking with John Mark earlier, you know, this word for double-minded is a rare word. It's, it's not in secular literature. Uh-huh. It's not in the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's only in this book in a couple places. And... It, Again, it's this, the truth is, Mm -hmm. we're not double-minded. In in our conscience, we know what is right. It's just that we have all these other voices that Mm -hmm. are are, are making us question that which we know is right. Until in in some people's lives, Mm -hmm. they give in to these other voices until no longer do they even hear their conscience. So the way anyway, mm-hmm. I can explain some crazy people mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Because the double-minded mm-hmm. man, in other words, if you're giving in to the passions and the other things that are causing you to question, you're not going to, as he goes on to say, unstable, unstable in all his ways. Yeah. you It, it undercuts everything. It, it undercuts everything. That, you know I love that, that, about- that. Go ahead, Ken. I'm sorry
1: what you said about not being double-minded um, we know what the truth is. it's the emotions, it's the situation pressing on us. it's the doubting that comes because of how we feel. Um, a quotation that I'd run into from a from one of the rabbis, a rabbinic comment on Deuteronomy 26 verse 16 said this, quote, "When you make your prayer to God, do not have two hearts, one for God, and one for something else, yeah. which is maybe a way of saying it. So it, you know the truth, but your heart is what is is. You're double-hearted, <laughs> you're double-emotioned, you're double-double-loved. You have a heart for God. but
0: You have a heart for something else at the same time. People listening to us may seem like we're here, like we're double-minded. We can't make up our minds. We have two masters, but inside of us, it's this battle between head and heart, mm-hmm. conscience and that. Mm-hmm. It, to me, again, as we've said from the beginning, I think this is all built on the Sermon on the Mount when our Lord said, um, seek first his kingdom okay. and his righteousness, and then all these other things. Will be added. Don't worry about all that other stuff. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's, and be anxious only for today, not yesterday and tomorrow. The ramifications of your trust today. Um, well, we, we we could have talked so much more on that. Let's let's call that a quit for today. I just want to tell the audience that we're going to pick up next week. We're going to continue. I assume we'll do at least verse nine through eleven, through but 11. May, maybe a little farther. But we would encourage you to go to our community, chnetwork.org. If you have any thoughts or questions or comments or critiques, we'd love to hear from you. And we'd love to talk about them in next week's program. So God bless. Thank you, Ken, for joining me again. Thank you. All right. The rest of you, God bless you. We'll see you next week.
3: Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes... If you are full
1: archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.